The San Diego Hall of Champions Sports Museum in Balboa Park is gone. In its place, Comic-Con International is building something new. Wow, so it's all cleared out, huh? Yeah, I never even saw it when it had things in. <laughs> the nonprofit plans to celebrate comics, movies, television, and other popular arts year-round in its yet-to-be-named facility. There'll be exhibitions, panels, virtual reality demos, and other events. The space will also serve to document Comic-Con's own history and legacy. If done right, Comic-Con's new project could reinvigorate the park. Just like its wildly popular annual convention, the space could attract hordes of new visitors, livening up what's become the quietest corner of Balboa Park. San Diego Comic-Con 2016, show me what you got. This is good. (laughs) This is good. This is supposed to happen. (laughs) Welcome, Avengers. In October, Comic-Con hired Adam Smith to lead the effort. Smith has worked at museums in the United Kingdom and the U.S. for more than 20 years. Most recently, he headed up an aviation museum in Texas. In a Q&A, I talked to Smith about his background, his vision, and the shape Comic-Con's new museum might take. David Glanzer, Comic-Con's director of communications who's been with Comic-Con for decades, fielded some of my questions, too. Before we sat down for the interview, the two took me on a quick tour of their new space. So we're actually standing in the lobby, and this is a key space for me. Um, I want people to walk into this place and go, wow, and feel something like I stepped into a, a cathedral of popular culture, awe, and wonder. Adam showed me the former Hall of Champions movie theater and described intimate screenings and other film events with big-time directors and television actors and producers. He stood in the center of the building and described big events that could be streamed to a worldwide audience and then showed me rooms upstairs where he envisions local students using as classrooms that use comic books or other popular arts mediums to help make learning more fun. Adam is legitimately stoked on his new job, but I had to start by asking him about how his experience at an aviation museum prepared him for his post with Comic-Con. So you have a long history uh, in museums. Right, but uh, you know, not necessarily in this vein. Mm-hmm. Most recently, you're coming from an aviation museum. So, aviation to pop culture. What's sort of the first thing you tell people when they see kind of a disconnect there? Well, I, I will go a little bit further back into my past because museums really are my thing. Um, you know, you, you sometimes meet people and they say, "I've just been passionate about something since I was a, a small child," and for whatever reason, museums were my thing. My dad used to take me, he volunteered at a railroad museum. So from as, as um, early an age as I can remember, I had museums in my world and I've worked in museums since I was 16. I worked myself all the way through college and did a college degree in museum studies. So you, you, you're getting a picture of someone that is semi-obsessive about um, uh, you know, one, one aspect of, of culture and society. There is some value in being an outsider and and because you, you can understand the perspective of someone that, that knows nothing. Now, I actually know, I think, more about popular culture and comics than, than I did when I got in the Aviation Museum. But to be truthful, I don't want to position myself as being this huge 
knowledge base and curator of um, all the different subject areas in, in Comic Con because it's so wide and it's so broad. Um, and frankly, there's there's a ton of people that know a lot, and they're they're being really helpful to me. And if if I bring anything, if I bring any skill set to this job, I hope it's it's to do things that the fans absolutely love, and they 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 see new perspectives on the thing that they love, but also to do it in such a way that the ordinary person walking in off the street that knows nothing, they can they can see. Um, interest and, and, and fun and, 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 and education in that too and I think that strikes to why Comic Con is fundamentally doing this is that as everybody knows the event has become just this this mega thing and, and it's become a little bit inaccessible because as, as I'm here in San Diego I meet so many people that, that are really curious and interested about Comic Con but have never been and sort of they feel they never will get the chance to go because it's so hard to get a ticket and, and, and so on. So that the excitement level that they've got about being able to come to something 365 days a year that that at least gives them a flavor of Comic-Con and helps them helps them understand what's going on inside that building. You know, they, they can see some of it, but they don't know. And there's, there's a... Um, a lot of curiosity about that. My popular culture interests, I've got some esoteric ones. I think the people, the folks in the office have figured out that actually my number one thing is pinball. I am um, going back to Dallas in two weeks for the Texas Pinball Festival. And, you know, that's the kind of thing I've been doing for quite a long time. I collect pinball machines. And, and um, I, you know, I, in some ways, I think I might be like a regular person when it comes to things like movies and TV and... Um, you know, I, I've got my likes and my interests, and I got my things that I don't particularly like. And 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 as I said, I, I think there's I think there's some value in that because certainly from the I spent I ended up spending 18 years in aviation museums, and I became passionate about it. I learned to fly, and and you know I I I ended up being in this sort of specialist area. And believe me, that will happen with 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 the world of comic con and even in even four months in it's it's already happening you know it, it might, because when it's your job and your passion you just you just jump right in um but i will never forget the the person that i was when i walked in because i that that helps me understand as i go on this journey of discovery through the world of comic con um i'm having these revelations and whenever i have one it gives me a little point that i I want to facilitate other people having that revelation. And maybe you're the right person to talk more specifically about the genesis and the impetus behind the museum. Um, you know, Comic-Con is not, <laughs> didn't have to do this. You're absolutely right. And I think one of the things that, that people don't understand about Comic-Con is, you know, we've uh, kind of held our cards a little close to our chest. And that isn't out of any secrecy. It's just that we're really a very small organization. We have a very big footprint, as anybody in San Diego or I guess now the world knows. But it really is a very small group of people who put this event on, uh, many of whom uh, started in 1970 or a little bit thereafter and are still with the organization. So it really has to do with bandwidth, what it is that we can do as opposed to what it is that we want to do. Uh, with our growth... Uh, over the years, it's given us the ability to start looking at things um, that we've always wanted to do and are now able to 
turn an eye toward that. And one really was the legacy of Comic-Con, uh, but equally as important, the promotion of popular art. And one of the things that I think is unique about Comic-Con is we, we put on the type of show we want to attend. We're fans. And oftentimes, I think people look at pop culture now, uh, and you know they may realize it's pop culture. But oftentimes, when it first starts, people don't realize it's necessarily an artistic uh, endeavor until many years later. When Comic-Con first started, film, comic books, and science fiction were considered fringe elements. Um, now, you know, some of the most popular uh, books are, are science fiction or fantasy books. They're being made into blockbuster movies and comics. You know, people know so much about comics. So I think having an ability to have a place where Comic-Con could live 365 days was something we had longed for for a while, but equally as important to highlight various aspects of pop culture and popular art that I think, as, as Adam said, not only caters to fans, but hopefully will intrigue people who don't know their fans, will come here and may discover that they actually have an affinity for something they may not have ever thought of as being art. So in that vein, um you know, museum world, little highbrow, can be known as being kind of hoity-toity. You're coming in with, <clears throat> like you said, um, um, plethora, lots of mediums that have long been thought of as, you know, maybe not suited for, not museum quality. So are you, how are you going to deal with that sort of outlook? Someone gave me a book about two weeks ago, and it really brought it all together for me. It was... Um, called How Music Works by David Byrne, the, the singer in the Talking Heads. And chapter 10 of that book is called Amateurs. And if anyone wants to know where I am coming from personally and what I've been doing my whole life and, and, and I think how Comic-Con sees the world, I think this is why you guys hired me is because somehow you sensed in me a set of principles that Comic-Con is based on. I, I, I didn't know it at the time, but in my first four months, I think that um, this has become really clear to me. In summary, I have been in museums my whole life, as I've said, and I went to museum school, but I've always felt myself as an outsider. Uh, that hoity-toity that you talked about. Remember, I came from Britain, and um, it's a, cl a very class-driven society, and, and I remember why I moved to America was because I, I felt that in American society was a little bit less of that, that the restrictions of a class-based society. And America has really panned out that way, by the way. It was, it's it's to, to the country's credit, you know? Um, but I think Comic-Con in particular, think about it, it is a hugely fan-driven thing. It, 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 it is what, whatever the antithesis of a finely curated fine art museum is, is, is represented by Comic-Con. And that's what I've always aligned myself with. I've taken, um, I take a lot of energy from it. I take from, from the people, from what, um, I, I've never liked it when someone has tried to tell me what I like. When, to, when someone has tried to sort of say, there's a certain kind of music that has an inherent quality about it that, you know, that is, is, is not in your music. But I, 
you know, and, and I, th I think that, that kind of idea runs, runs through Comic-Con. And it's why sort of, to be honest, spiritually, the last four months while I've been on this job, it's like, you know, I just feel, I feel like I've found my way home somehow. I think you bring up a good point. And, 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 and in your last question, you had said, you know, why this? This isn't something you had to do. And I think that's true. But in a way, it kind of is. And that Comic-Con, uh, we don't make a big deal of this, but, but really we're governed by our mission statement is to promote comics and related popular art. But equally as important is to make sure that those who attend uh, learn something, have fun, but have a sense of belonging. And the end user really is the reason why we do what it is that we do. So as an example, at, uh, much is made of Hall H at, at the San Diego Convention Center at, during Comic-Con. That's the big 6,500-seat theater. Well, we had to make a decision at some point where we're going to go ahead and expand into Hall H and use it as an exhibit hall and sell it for exhibit space, or were we going to convert that into a theater because we were running out of programming space? And the decision was we would forego the revenue from Hall H knowing that was going to be a challenge, but it was more important to us to provide a venue that could seat even more people uh, to the programming that they wanted to see. So when, when Adam talks about, you know, the, the spiritual connection or this, this connection of, of, you know, why we do things and, and the reason we hired him, yeah, I think he, you know, was very forthcoming in his answers. He seemed to, to really put the, the end user first. And I think, you know, our hope is that this museum or center or whatever it is that we end up calling it is a place where people can cross-pollinate, if you will. You may come in for an interest in this, but may find something else that you're interested in. Or you may come in just out of curiosity, but walk away with something that you really do find an interest in. And, and that's kind of Comic-Con's thing as well. Do you have specific uh, for us here of shows and possible permanent exhibitions and that sort of thing? We have some ideas, but let me first talk about how we're approaching the development of content. The traditional model of a museum, certainly that hoity-toity museum you talked about, um, is we hire curators who, who build collections and decide what's important and present that to the visiting public. And I think, I don't, dis I don't object to that, but that's not what we're doing here. Um, I think Comic-Con has been very fan-driven just in terms of the content. Um, most of the, the content of Comic-Con comes from people from the community that want to come and present and show their world. And there's almost um, a process of um, people vote by their feet. They go to what they're interested in. And I, and I think we want to continue that way of thinking in, in the way we think about content for this place. So I'm seeing myself as much a facilitator of the voice and interest of the fan coming into this space as I am a curator uh, in, in a traditional model. And I hope, I hope there's no curators listening to this. I think I'm trying to take their jobs away because there, there, is a there is a place for it. But in the world of Comic-Con, truthfully, there are fans in our world that know more than any curator I could ever hire. And, and wh why, why set up a conflict between me and them? Why not? reach out the hand of friendship and em embrace them in it. So I've, I've started looking at things even like 
even in the world of popular culture, Lego ideas is a is a a process that Lego has set up where the voice of the fan actually makes it into the final product. You know, and and people vote things up and down, and 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 so you know, the dream of the fan can actually make it into a real product that's, that's sold on shelves. And that, that's really cool for the fans to be part of that. And and so there is a professional part that, that me and my team will play in how we interpret subject matters and things like that. But I want the fans to be able to see ideas come to life in this place. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think we see this as a year-round... Um, place where th that's very current. Um, it's as David intimated. We we haven't totally decided on the name of it yet. Um, museums are nice shorthand in some ways, but in in other ways it doesn't work because museums tend to bring up the idea of collections and looking back into history. Well, we we may have some of that, but I think a lot of Comic Con is also about what's happening now and what's happening in the future. So. We're, we're, we're working on the design right now of how are we going to use this, this building. And a lot of the concepts are very much about flexible space that can be multi-purpose to lots of different things that, that we could imagine today. But even now, we, we, we don't know how it's going to play out, but things like virtual reality will be big and influential parts of, of popular culture. So we, we need something that is going to work not just in 2018, but also in... 2038 and um, so I but I think very broadly imagine the same universe that Comic-Con addresses or the the, the diversity of, um, of, of of media and genres that Comic-Con addresses will be represented in here I think just as the same as Comic-Con there'll be a special place in it for comics because they they that's where Comic-Con came from, and it is still, to some degree, the, the sort of center of the creative universe. So I think we'll we'll create a special place for comics in, in what we do here. Um, so there'll be exhibits. There will be, uh, I think, a lot of changing exhibits. Um, it, it, if I've got any problem, actually, it's that we're, con we're massively content-rich. Mm -hmm. I get more great ideas thrown at me every day than in some of my previous jobs, I would literally get in, in six months. And, and, and so it's immediately clear to me that part of the challenge is loads of content and how do we, how do we make it all work? So traveling exhibits and traveling you know, and events and panels and, and, and screenings and things like that, I think will all be part, all be part of what we do here. Um, and it, we're actually at that point where I don't want to be too definitive about it because we're just starting the process of actually inviting the outside world to throw their ideas in. Um, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be surveying people. I'll even be having some sort of mass ideation sessions where we will invite people to come into this space and 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 brainstorm with us on on what will happen in this space. Um, I think one of the things that when when we're asked, you know, what what is this going to be and and uh, you know one of the things that that we've kind of come up with was we want to do it right not fast so ideally i think you know a lot of people look to this and and would hope that you know we'll be you know open swinging the doors open you know uh, this year or the truth of the matter is there's a lot to do uh but we want to make sure we do it right we don't really have a i mean we have you know um uh, 
we want to make sure we do it right, not necessarily just open it up just to open it up. And and Adam mentions, you know, uh, Comic-Con is very current and forward-looking, but there is a history, too. Uh, we, we, we do uh, get a lot of input from our fans, and that's very important. But one of the things we also do is try to maintain uh, knowledge of where we came from. So you'll see at Comic-Con oftentimes a lot of panels and programs on the history of comics that n new kids or, or new people may not even be aware of. Those are really important things. How will that manifest itself in the, in the museum or the center? I'm not, I'm not sure, but, but comics really are an important aspect of who we are, uh, so I'm sure they'll be represented. And in what way? The, the door is open. I think Comic-Con has some limitations in what we can do. I think those limitations don't necessarily extend to the, to the new facility, so that's kind of exciting also. So are we putting a timeline on this? Do we have any definitive dates here yet? Or uh, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Not um, 2018, kind of sounds like. No. Um, I think probably the best way I can express this is I think it will open approximately 18 months after we've raised the money. So that immediately communicates to you that we've got some fundraising to do on this project um so the the i would like by the middle of this year to have a good solid vision of what we want to do therefore a budget and um comic con is making a very significant investment in this project but it we will need to go and raise some money additionally um and so we need to put a, a what i think will be a modest capital campaign together and execute that and at some point we'll be confident enough in the resources to say right let's start the process of construction and um, as david says it it is something we want to do right i said to someone recently if i wanted an easy life right now i could throw something together pretty quickly stick a comic con logo on the outside and a lot of people would come it's very clear to me that there's a big pent-up demand in this community for there's a lot of excitement about this which is you know sort of humbling and 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 a little bit daunting for me because because the expectations are very very high if i've got a problem it, i think it's that we've already got a building normally when you're starting a project like this which is essentially a brand new visitor attraction from scratch you are there's a you're looking at a piece of ground and you build a building and you, and you house the exhibits in it. And everyone understands that takes a bit of time to do all that. Because we've got the building sitting here, it's like, everyone's like, you know, when's it, when's it, all you need to do now is throw some things in it. But to do it, to do it to the quality level that I think everyone expects of Comic-Con and that does justice to the subject matter and the history and the culture of the organization, I do want to take the opportunity to 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 do it to to a really good standard, uh, not just of execution but also of the thought that goes into it. Um, so, hopefully, people will will um, you know be just hold back that enthusiasm a little bit um, on the understanding that when it that that just helps us make it really awesome when it opens. So speaking of funding, I think the perception is that Comic-Con is this giant corporation that makes tons of money and has hundreds of employees. You've already mentioned it's a nonprofit. It's got a relatively small staff, much smaller than most people expect. Um, one of the things that generated some buzz and concern was that 
Um, Comic-Con has a dollar a year lease, correct me if I'm wrong, a minor payment a year to use the building, which is actually standard, pretty standard in Balboa Park. Most of the organizations here um, are subsidized by the city to provide arts and culture to the community. <coughs> and to attract visitors, of course, which I'm sure this will do. Um, so talk to me about what sort of fundraising we're talking about. Are you doing a $5 million capital campaign campaign right out of the gate? Or what sort of fundraising are we looking at? I, I, I just can't put a number on it right now. We, we, we've got to go through the process of, um, of uh, deciding what it is that we want to do budget that and and that will that will create whatever the fundraising campaign is but it, it will be millions of dollars for sure um and i i think this is a this whole project strategically for comic con as an organization is very interesting because it comic con by the act of doing this is becoming a year-round organization in a way that it's just not been before and it, it's existed year-round and has done events um, periodically year-round, but I th I think this changes the dynamics the dynamics of Comic Con in a really interesting way. And one of the things that it does is um, it, it it's going to cause Comic Con to to behave more like the nonprofits that, that that you're very familiar with around town in 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 the way that it communicates and acts and runs educational programming and also fundraisers. Um, when I interviewed for this job in, in this room, I talked about one of my previous jobs with the Experimental Aircraft Association in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And um, since I've been on the job here, I've I draw on that experience every single day because although the two organizations are completely different, one's in aviation and one's in popular culture, um, they are uncannily similar. EAA in Oshkosh, where I spent 11 years, runs the world's largest air show. So it's the it's the comic con of their world, no question. It's it, it's mecca for anyone that loves airplanes. So this organization grew up around this incredible volunteer and fan-driven event. And then they decided to have a museum. And they built a museum, and, and that's what I crossed the Atlantic Ocean in 2001 to run. And I learned a lot from that experience. And to some degree, you learn positive lessons, things that you want to do, but you also learn negative lessons. I, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend Comic Con that you you, you do this uh, this way. I think one of the things that, in retrospect, EAA wishes they'd done is think a little bit more carefully about fundraising on the front side of their project. So, when they did it, they had this very successful event spinning off money that they then invested in a museum but by the time i got there it was incurring a very significant annual deficit and the nightmare scenario had, had occurred for that organization that the museum that was an expansion of their mission was now sucking the life out of their big event taking resources right out of it and they couldn't sustain the big thing that they always had so we don't want this to happen to comic con right and we want to build the museum as being something that's sustainable in its own right and so as we approach it fundraising will be part of it not just the capital campaign to create it but also the programs that we that, that sustain that sustain us will you know we'll be a regular a regular sort of 
museum type of an organization Going from that point of view. Absolutely, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, now bear in mind, Comic Con, we don't necessarily need to look to the city of San Diego to shoulder all this burden because I, I do, it's very clear to me there's lots of organizations in town and um, there's lots of demands for, for fundraising dollars. One of the things that Comic Con does bring is a national slash international audience of people that really love this. So we will, a lot of our fundraising activity will be talking to that group of people saying, what we're trying to create here is a, a year-round home for that thing that you really love, and will you support this? Okay. So any ideas yet on the model? You know, in the museum world, there's a movement to um, promote accessibility by offering free admission. Has that already been decided, or are we still talking about that? I think everything is open. I mean, again, going back to the interview interview process, I mean, how, how long was the interview? It was like three hours, maybe three or four hours. And um, we heard a lot of good ideas from a lot of different people, a lot of what ended up being consensus. But I think one of the things that we came away with, and I think, uh, you know, Adam kind of exemplified was, you know, we can, we can um, use best practices, uh, learn from errors and mistakes that people made before, but chart our own path. So I think it's a hybrid of all those things. So I don't know that anybody at this point can say exactly how that's going to manifest, but I don't think anything is, is closed. I think we're open to, to a, a number of different possibilities. It's, it's, it's an exciting thing that we're doing. It's very, very, very scary. You know, this is, uh, for Comic-Con, who's gonna be celebrating our 50th year, our 50th convention soon, this is the probably the biggest undertaking that we've, we've done. And uh, it's a scary thing, but, but we have a great deal of confidence in Adam and the ability to make this thing a asset to San Diego and people who like comics and pop culture. <laughs> so <clears throat> one thing, uh, one challenge for the popular culture universe is diversity. Um, I don't know if you talked about that at all or if you've come across concerns involving people already reaching out saying, I really hope you think about an exhibit on women and people of color and, you know, are you thinking about this already? Has this come up? It has come up and, and first of all, I... I want to pay tribute to Comic-Con on the issue of diversity because I think the organization has been doing a tremendous amount in this area. Um, I had recently wrote what I believe to be the first ever grant application that, that Comic-Con's ever written, and it caused me, because we're starting to fundraise, right? So, and it caused me to go and look closely at, at how Comic-Con as an organization has approached diversity, and, and I was actually blown away by um, how much is already being done by the organization. There were nearly 50 presentations during Comic-Con last summer on different themes, you know, across the whole span of diversity. And it's funny, I just came off 18 years in aviation, and my one message to all my previous folks from that world is, you can learn a lot from this organization about diversity, because aviation has a huge diversity problem. It's 96% male, um, and... Um, frankly, white male, and and 
you know the people are trying to make progress well i actually think comic con has done done some wonderful things and and it's actually i think i think comic con you probably used to be a bit more male than it is now I, my prediction is over the next 10 years comic con will turn majority female um it's it's certainly trending that way well i can tell you in terms of our demographics and i've been with the organization on a volunteer basis since 1984 and we always skewed more male than female uh, but we actually had a lot more female attendees than I think the general public really was aware of. Uh, you know, our executive director is female. The person who heads up uh, the Eisner Awards is female. And she was with the organization, I think, as early as 1971. Um, but the, 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 we've seen in the last probably 20 years a lot more women becoming involved in, in Comic-Con that are, I think, our key demos are now... Uh, close to 60 40 or maybe 55 you know uh, 45 there's a, it's a lot more uh even than it than it ever has been and i think there's any number of reasons for that um one of the things that we always try to strive is comics and popular art are for everybody we knew that if we could get people through the door they would come back and we certainly saw that with with uh with women and girls, especially in the 90s when anime and manga uh, started uh, gaining popularity in the United States, and that's a Japanese form of, of comics and animation. And not all of it, but, but some of it is geared toward girls. Um, that was a, a, a boon for, uh, for us, and I think for the, for the industry. So uh, there is a lot of diversity with Comic-Con. I think we don't do a very good job of, you know, tooting our own horn on that, but there's not really been a, a necessity for that. I think our attitude has always been, let's put on the best kind of convention we can, let's try to make it as accessible to as many people as we possibly can, and uh, the rest is, is icing on the cake. Uh, I think we've been successful in that. We, we, we continue to do that, and I think the, as Adam said, I think the, the center of the museum will, will mirror that as well. It's just who we are. Yeah, I feel I didn't, I didn't actually answer your question. Um, it, it, but the, the point I made earlier that we're going to be taking our, as Comic-Con has done for the last 49 years, we're going to take our cues from the audience out there. And so when issues of diversity are of, of interest to that audience, it will make it into what we do. And I think, as David says, it's that's just organically happened uh, as part of the culture of what Comic-Con is. So, um, you know, we, we'll definitely do that. And... Um, I, think, I think it's diversity in all its forms. It's not just male, female, uh, gender identity, uh, abled or differently abled, whatever it happens to be. You know, Comic-Con has an amazingly diverse group of people who not only attend the convention, but who operate the convention. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, somebody had, had erroneously mentioned that, um, you know, most of the employees at Comic-Con are, you know, white males. and you know, that's just not really the case. I mean, it, and, and it's not anything that I think that uh, that we, you know, go out of our way to say, but we're a, a diverse group. And I think when you, when your area of interest is science fiction or comic books or fantasy or whatever, where you're dealing with people with, you know, psychic abilities or five arms or three legs, or whatever, being in a wheelchair, isn't a big thing being a person of color or being whatever it happens to be that's you know that's more the norm than not i think you know we look at uh 
we want everybody to come to the show because there is something for everybody. And one of the things that I really love about Comic-Con is if you don't see it at Comic-Con, let us know about it. And, and then we can hopefully embrace that as well. We have, you know, we have uh, Christian comics and exhibitors at our show. We have people of color. We have people who are uh, uh, transgender or, or, or LGBTQ. We have, it's, it really is incredibly diverse. And it isn't something that, that's just normal for us. Comic-Con has a space problem. The convention center is too, uh, you've, uh, you know, basically outgrown the convention center. There's all sorts of politics swirling around why we can't extend the convention center. Um, I look at this space, what is it, 65,000 square feet? 68. Are you going to be using this center at all to relieve some of those space issues? I think, again, nothing is off the table, but 65,000 square feet or 68,000 square feet isn't as big as, as I think we originally thought it was going to be. I think our, 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 the realization is, um, you know, it's especially the way it is sectioned off uh, can pose some challenges. I, I think that's something we would like to do. Um, but again, it's gonna, the, the, the center of the museum is going to take the lead if if we can then we certainly will uh there is a challenge with space in san diego and there has been and, and we've known that for a while we've been lucky in being able to expand out to some of the park spaces to neighboring hotels things of that nature but it continues to be a challenge this space here we have a uh, a building that has some minor space in barrio logan uh that you know at some point now that we have more bandwidth we may be able to start doing things um, at, at satellite locations. But again, we want to make sure we do it right and not just fast. So we move slowly, but when we commit, for the most part, we're committed. I was talking to someone recently who's a relatively well-known comic artist, and he's been coming to Comic-Con with his entire family for 35 years. And I was briefing him on this project, and he stopped me and he said, what is Balboa Park? And, and it, it was clear to me that even though he's been coming to San Diego on Comic-Con for 35 straight years, it, it, Balboa Park hadn't even registered on his consciousness. So that tells you something about how intensely people spend their time during the event. And certainly the my new colleagues here in the park tell me that during the week of Comic-Con, they don't really see a change. It's, it's just life goes on pretty much as normal. And I think when we get this place open, that definitely will change. So a museum or a center, whatever you end up calling it, is pretty permanent. Does this mean you're married to San Diego forever? Are you guys staying forever? We would love to stay in San Diego. And it's interesting, I, I read once somebody had said, why doesn't Comic-Con just sign like a 50-year agreement with the convention center and, and, and be done with it? You know, I, I think if we could guarantee that the hotel rates, that everything else would be the same for 50 years, you know, maybe that's something we can entertain, but the truth of the matter, that doesn't happen. Do we want to stay in San Diego? Absolutely. Do we think we can stay in San Diego? We've been able to stay here longer than I think some people thought we would be able to. But the truth of the matter is we signed three-year contracts for a reason, and that is things change. Hotels change, space. Um, we are from San Diego, but we've operated shows in Anaheim. 
Los Angeles, San Jose, San Francisco, and Oakland. We could operate Comic-Con in another city. Uh, we don't want to, but if we, and again, it's the end user. If, if it ends up being more difficult to our attendees, uh, whether it's affordable or space or what have you, to stay in San Diego, then we're gonna have to look at other options. That being said, everyone has been really great in working with us and we've tried to, to work with them. And look, when we, when we decided to turn Hall H into that theater and knew that we were gonna lose that revenue, that was a big commitment to us to, to put the fan first. That continues to this day. And I think the fact that hotels, the city and, and others are working with us has kept us here. We, we outgrew that center 17 years ago, or at least seven years ago, and it's still working out for us. I hope it'll work out for many more years. Would we like to stay here? Yes. Is us being here an indication of that? It really isn't. It's, it's two separate things. Thanks for listening to CultureCast. Visit voiceofsandiego.org slash podcast to learn more about all the shows in the Voice of San Diego podcast network. And if you like the show and you want to support what we do at Voice of San Diego, go to voiceofsandiego.org and click the donate button. Make sure to mention the podcast when you check out. <laughs>